Hey there, Braves fans. Welcome to another edition of State of the Braves. I'm your host, George McNair. Uh, we are back as we are getting deeper and deeper into spring training, which means we are closer and closer to the start of the regular season. Uh, it is um, nice that it's getting closer. You know, spring training, as you get into the middle of it, it feels long, and it's actually longer this year uh, than in most years because the World Baseball Classic, uh, they add maybe close to a week uh, to spring training because of that. So it does at this point seem like spring is never going to end and the regular season is never going to get here. But we are getting closer. And uh, for the Braves, it might be good to have a little bit of extra time as the as they have a couple of players who, um, you know, might need that to get ready, ready for the season. So, you know, you have uh, the hamstring issues of Mike Soroka. You have a shoulder, maybe not issue, maybe issue is the wrong word, but shoulder of uh, Kyle Wright. So he got a cortisone shot um, in January on that on that shoulder. Uh, the uh, the word is that it's fine, uh, but you know it takes some time, and the Braves are certainly being careful with Kyle Wright as they're going to need him, uh, of course. So uh, you know those things are kind of being worked out. Uh, Mike Soroka is a little bit more of a question mark right now in terms of being able to start the season. It's looking more and more like uh, he he will not be able to start the season with uh, the big league club, which I know is uh, tough for him. We'll talk about uh, Mike Soroka and uh, the uh, the competition for the fifth, fifth spot in the lineup today. Uh, but we're going to get into a few things. The first thing we'll talk about is the pitch clock. And, you know, I've been able to see several, uh, several spring games, and I want to give you my take on how I think it's going to impact uh, things specific to the Braves, but also across baseball and what I do like about it and what I don't like about it. Uh, we will talk about the fifth starter spot, and I'll give you my, my early thoughts on uh, who I think maybe in, ends up with that. You know, part of that, I don't want to put a damper on the episode, but, you know, is it really that important as who breaks camp with the Braves? Braves are going to need a lot of guys uh, to fill out. Uh, their their rotation this year so but I mean it it of course matters it matters in the short term uh, and it gives you a hint as to maybe who is uh, going to have a better season as as what they're looking like you know you can only take so much away from spring training sometimes guys with horrible springs can have great years but I think it does give you some clues uh, particularly on one or two guys so we'll talk about that as well and then uh, I will give you some of my um, impressions on how Vaughn Grissom has looked so far at uh, at shortstop. Of course, it has been well documented his work with with Ron Washington, and I've talked about him some as well. Uh, and he keeps getting talked about around Brave circles. So I want to give you guys my take on what I think of Vaughn Grissom uh, moving forward. So let's start this episode, guys, talking about the pitch clock. And I think. You know, you have several different rule changes that have come into play this year. You have um, the bases have been enlarged. <laughs> um, every base has been enlarged, which is kind of uh, odd and interesting. And I think uh, the the argument more than anything is it's a safety issue for the players. But, of course, it's going to change, you know, the timing of when a runner gets to, gets to a bag and when the ball gets to the bag and that sort of thing. I haven't noticed too much. Uh, difference in that actually, as I've watched early on, but that's been one change. Uh, the you know taking away the shift obviously is one that has been talked about a good bit. That will have obvious changes in game as a lot of uh, you know bouncing balls through the infield are going to get through 
that sort of thing. Uh, and of course you have the pitch clock and then you have the, um, the limit of how many, how many throws a, a pitcher can make over to first or even any base if they step off. So you have a lot of things going on here. And, uh, I think the pitch clock to me is by far the one that is, uh, most unnatural and, uh, the one I probably like the least. Uh, so I'm giving it away to you guys a little bit of what I'm going to talk about today. Uh, obviously the purpose of the pitch clock is to move games along quicker. And that is definitely happening. I heard a report not too long ago that the average time of spring training games has been about two and a half hours, which is definitely down a good bit. Uh, if you watch a spring game right now, you have innings that fly by in under five minutes. And, um, Sometimes you look up and it's over. <laughs> you miss something. I was watching the uh, the Braves play the Pirates today, and the Pirates were uh, uh, the Braves for some reason. By the way, don't have many spring telecasts at all. I don't think their group gets down there till like the last week or so of spring, which is kind of annoying because a lot of a lot of teams do a full spring training um, uh, group of games, and the Pirates, not a very good team, are doing that. Anyways, <laughs> uh, so watching the Pirates uh, telecast. And their, their two broadcasters are trying to get through a story and it took them, uh, an inning and a half to get through the story because the innings were so quick, they couldn't get through it. They kept having to stop and go back. And so of course, you know, baseball podcasts are well known for that sort of thing, uh, as you fill in gaps and tell stories and, and it's sometimes kind of nice to hear those, those, you know, those things from old, old players. And anyways, it was kind of frustrating because they could not get to the point of the story because uh, the innings were so quick. Nonetheless, right, you have this pitch clock and it is definitely speeding games along. Uh, I want to go back to the very beginning of spring training. This happened now a couple weeks ago, but uh, the Braves were right in the middle of the first, I guess you could call it, um, you know, event of, uh, of the pitch clock where it's kind of obvious as to how it is changing the game a little bit. So Cal Connolly, um, Braves minor league shortstop, steps in. It is a six, uh, six to six game in the bottom of the ninth with Boston, three two count. I mean, it's the ultimate, you know, bases loaded, ninth inning. And uh, he is called uh, for strike three because he was not in the box ready to go with eight seconds to go. A lot has been made with the pitch clock that it's all about the pitcher, but it's it's actually on both sides. So the pitcher has to come set and, and um, sorry, the batter has to come set and looking at the pitcher with eight seconds to go. And, and the pitcher has 15 seconds total to uh, get on the, get on the rubber and deliver the ball, obviously before that, that final second ticks off. So it's, it's on both sides. And so obviously the call was that Connolly was not engaged, focused on the pitcher uh, with eight seconds to go. This is kind of a weird rule, right? Because this is, to me, I don't know how you determine as an umpire someone's focus. Like, how do you know uh, a, uh, a batter is focused on the pitcher? Does focus require you to stare in at the pitcher? Uh, that's, if you are staring into the pitcher at eight seconds, and we're already seeing this, Pitchers know that it's really uncomfortable for a batter to start that at eight seconds and have to maintain that all the way to the last second. Are they going to be able to hit well having stared into the pitcher for that long? 
Uh, and so pitchers are playing some games with this, most notably Max Scherzer. Uh, so uh, some some things that obviously you know this is this is early on with this rule. You have a lot of um, kind of weirdness to it, some kinks that are being worked out, and players are always going to try to find ways to to use rules like this to their advantage. So it's definitely speeding up games, uh, but obviously the game ended in a 6-6 tie um, because you can tie in spring training. Uh, but what if this had happened in a playoff game, right? What if it were 7-6? This was, you know, the Braves were down a run and, uh, you know, one ball away from walking in the tying run and instead uh, the umpire calls strike three. Are umpires going to be willing to do that in big games or is this rule going to kind of go away or get, um, you know, get a little loose uh, in, in big moments? it makes for a really strange thing and you're putting a lot on umpires uh, to make these types of calls. But nonetheless, it is definitely doing one thing. It's, it's serving its purpose of speeding up games. And the argument is that speeding up the games and, and getting a better pace of play will bring in more fans, right? That, uh, that baseball is too slow. It, it grinds. There's, there's, there's dead space. There's, there's just time where, you know, you have certain pitchers who are out there and there's 45 seconds between every pitch and it's, um, it's mind numbing. Uh, I don't think anybody, any of us like that kind of baseball. Uh, but the idea is you speed up these games, you bring in more fans, uh, and you grow the game. Um, so my, my first, my first thought on that is that's possible. Uh, if, you know, I have a good number of friends who don't really care for baseball. Is the pace of play going to bring them to baseball? I doubt it. I, I strongly doubt it. If, if you don't like the game already, is this going to be a tipping point? Now, maybe for, for some people, right? Maybe you are very casually a fan. You generally like the game, but you just can't sit through a three and a half hour game. But you're willing to sit through a two and a half hour game. Okay, there have to be people like that out there. And this is the whole thing with baseball. It's, it's, a, it's about the money, right? Bringing in more fans. Will it actually do that? Um, the one thing that I would say is if you speed up the game, but you sacrifice quality of play, right? Game quality goes down while game speed goes up, then I'm not sure you bring in as many new fans as you might think you will. Uh, and I think that that's, that's potential. I'm not saying that will happen, but you think about it. You are rushing pitchers, uh, and, and you are putting batters in a position that's pretty uncomfortable too at the same time. Now they're, they're major league players. They're, they're very capable and maybe, maybe I'm making too big of a thing of this, but I think you do have the potential of bringing down some quality of play, um, by throwing throwing them into this kind of situation. I mean, I'm thinking of a pitcher who, you know, it's a big pitch. They don't want to get called a ball. Uh, you know, the clock is counting down three, two, one, and they just let a fastball fly, you know, it clocks somebody in the head. Or it, they throw one right down the middle and, you know, it gets hit for a home run where if they could have had five more seconds to take a breath, they would have done it and made a more quality pitch. Uh, so, you know, that's, that's one issue that I have. The, maybe the biggest issue I have with this uh, 
is that baseball, and this is the reason I, I dislike this new rule more than the others. Uh, baseball is meant to, to not be on a clock. Uh, it's kind of unique in that way, right? Most major sports uh, have some kind of clock going on. Um, if you consider golf a major sport or um, or I guess tennis, then, then no. But, but, you know, it is meant to be played untimed. Uh, therefore, the pace is naturally a little slower. After all, you know, America, baseball is called America's pastime. It's, it's how you pass the time. You go to a game, you relax under the sun or in the lights, and you have a conversation and you eat a hot dog and uh, you're not too worried about uh, the game lasting three and a half hours, four hours. Um, and, you know, there is a point where it gets too drawn out and too slow and you want the action happening a little quicker. Uh, but nonetheless, there's nothing else about the game that is timed. Uh, so when you start putting in this pitch clock, to me, it, it really is messing with the natural uh, flow and operation of the game and you're you're asking a lot of guys who are not used to that to suddenly do it uh, now you do have some guys who have done it in the minor leagues the last few years that are uh, they are used to doing it uh, and I think the more that players get used to it they will obviously adjust um, you know athletes do that uh, but nonetheless I, I think it it messes with the game in some ways. I'm kind of sensitive to that, and I'm I'm definitely I know I'm old school in that way. And you guys might be rolling you know rolling your eyes at me or whatever, uh, but I I just think it's a little like you're changing the game uh, for what for a few more fans for a few more bucks. Look, I'm not naive to that and what that's about. Um, but we see this in a different way. We see this playing out in the NFL. Uh, you start making rule changes that change the nature of the game in some way. And um, you have a potential with messing with something. And there's always unintended consequences to, to making rule changes. Uh, what I mean with the NFL is how they are starting to treat the quarterback, right? That Falcons fans will know this when you had a, a sack of Tom Brady. It's a normal tackle. And it's instead of potentially getting the ball back and going down the field and winning the game, it is a 15-yard roughing the quarterback penalty, and you lose the game. And no other time in the history of football has that ever been a penalty. It's been good football. Uh, and so, obviously, that is not exactly the same as what we're talking about here. But, but just that maybe we don't even know. I mean, there could be something here that we we can't even fully understand of how this is going to affect the game. Um, and We'll see. Obviously, we will see. Um, but yeah, you know, I say I, I bet that most guys are going to be able to adjust to this rule. But that being said, I don't know that adjusting is as, as easy as it sounds. Pitchers particularly, I mean, I think about sports psychology, right? Pitchers are always taught in big moments, slow, slow things down, take a breath, step off the mound, um, you know, get your mind right, that sort of thing. <laughs> You're not able to do that anymore. It is put that foot on the rubber and go. Uh, now, maybe maybe sports psychologists out there would say that is better. I don't know. Just don't think about it and do it. Uh, but uh, I know that 
in basketball, right, you, you get to that free throw line and your heart's going and you can barely feel your legs and you take, you take a breath and you focus and then you go when you're ready. Uh, and I, I just think that particularly in big moments, and I think this is especially problematic in the playoffs when things are heightened, this is going to be interesting to see how this thing plays out. Uh, the implications could obviously be huge. In big moments, is this scenario that happened to Cal Connolly, would this happen in a Game 7 of a World Series? Will something like this be called a ball or a strike in a big moment that could that can end an inning, that could end a game? Um, it's, it's hard to believe that that would happen, but if it's in the rule book, uh, the umpires are going to call it. So, um, yeah, you know, it just... <clears throat> As I watch it, obviously I'm seeing guys get a little more used to it. You're seeing it called less. There are some pitchers uh, that are still maybe just getting into their first game or two of spring that are still struggling with it. I saw A.J. Minter get into a game yesterday, and he didn't have – I don't think he had any balls called on him, but he was clearly rushed. He did not look comfortable. He didn't get through the inning. And, uh, you know, he's a guy that's typically taken more time between – each pitch again maybe he'll adjust to that but right now he he's obviously one that's struggling you don't know i mean this could turn some really good players into more mediocre players if they're asked to do something that is really unnatural and forced for them uh it really could throw off some guys that we don't necessarily expect it to uh, and it could be even tougher for hitters having to stare into that pitcher for so long uh so you know my my argument for this rule, and I mentioned this uh, before spring training ever started when, the, when these rules were announced, but um, why not just do this in the minor leagues? They've already introduced it in the minor leagues. And to me, I mean, you have to be more patient with it. But if everybody coming up through the minors gets used to doing this uh, in games that really don't matter, right, um, minor leagues is more about getting better in player development and you get to majors. Now it's, now it counts. Um, you get up to, you know, the big leagues and every hitter and every pitcher is, you, you know, every hitter's used to getting in the box. Every pitcher is used to putting that foot on the rubber and going. And then when you get to the bigs, it's just, now it's just about what you do, right? It's, it's, it's rote. It's, um, it's more natural, but you don't have to at the big league level enforce it. Yeah, you'd have guys who maybe would eventually take take their time and it would get slower again. But I think in the long long term, uh, you know, the larger view of it, um, it would still be it would still mean quicker games with better pace. That's what I think they should have done. And this to me seems to be a little more extreme in making sure that that the pace of play uh, is happening. And look, this has been an issue for baseball for a long time. It's been talked about in a lot of different ways. How do we speed up the game? It seems like they got tired of all these little half measures and they just went for something big. And I think it's definitely going to speed up pace of play. I mean, it's going to do that. Uh, we'll just see how it affects things otherwise. But obviously, I'm not a big fan. In terms of the other rules, I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about it today. Uh, I just think there's positives and negatives to, to all of them. Um, I'm not a huge fan of any of them, but I can kind of get behind them in some ways. Um, but all of them seem to be 
all the other ones seem to be benefiting the offense uh, in ways. So uh, obviously, um, you know, the, <laughs> the league wants more offense, so they'll probably get it. All right, well, let's move on. Let's move on to Braves specific stuff and the fifth starter. And as the Braves have started this, uh, or as they did start uh, spring training, you felt pretty good. I mean, you have Soroka, Elder, Anderson, all potentially high-quality pitchers going for the fifth starter spot. It did not start out great. Uh, you have early on Soroka going down with this hamstring injury. Really stinks for him. Uh, he said, <laughs> kind of a funny quote, but uh, not really in a way. He said it's a, it was a kick in the groin to to get you know this injury leading into spring training when you know all he wanted was a finally a regular spring to get ready and get going. So you know that this is really testing him in ways that I mean this guy has been tested already mentally trying to overcome two Achilles injuries. Now I mean a, a strained hamstring in and of itself is is no big deal. Uh, but it's definitely throwing a wrench into his preparation for this season. And for a guy who really hasn't pitched in three years, that's kind of a big deal. So, you know, the Soroka deal happens. All right, well, you still got Anderson. And, um, you know, you got Anderson, you got Elder. Uh, Anderson has not looked very good to me. Elder struggled in his first start. He's been a little better since. Uh, Elder, I don't think, is ever going to be a guy who's going to be elite. Uh, he's probably does slot in as a fifth or fourth starter uh, for his career. And that's fine. I, I think there's a lot to, to be said about him just being solid. Uh, so, you know, there's that, right? Bryce, he gave up a grand slam in his spring debut against the Yankees. That was not a great way to start. But like I said, he has uh, looked pretty sharp since then. Anderson, Right, he's coming in, and a lot was made of he's got this new third pitch. He's got a slider now, and this is what's going to turn him around. I, I'm just going to be honest with you guys. I still have my doubts. Um, I've always thought that the bigger key for Anderson was fastball command. Yes, it it will benefit him to add a quality third pitch. Um, it is. I'm not sure that that slider is going to be a quality pitch, and if he's going to be confident to go to it uh, in games. Uh, it it sounds good on paper, right? It's the opposite break of the changeup. And, you know, you got guys who are either just sitting on fastball or sitting on changeup because he's been a two-pitch pitcher. Um, but the problem is he hasn't been able to throw strikes with his fastball. So he's really just become a one-pitch pitcher. Uh, and I'm still seeing that. the last His last start, which on, on paper didn't look terrible, um, if you just looked at the box score, but he was leaving the fastball. It was very much what we've seen of him in the past. It was, uh, it was pitches nowhere close. You know, he would, he would spike a change up, you know, 58 feet. He would put a fastball like, you know, two feet over the, the strike zone. And then he would spot one. And so it's just this wild, uh, kind of in and out. Sometimes he can be effectively wild like that, but, it also means he's walking a lot of guys, and I just think uh, he's playing with fire. Uh, now, like I said, he is mixing in that slider some. Uh, it looks good at times, but man, a slider that you are just starting to throw, it makes me very nervous because what do you know about a slider? Um, you can hang a slider, and you start adding 
bad fastball command with hanging sliders, and I don't like that combination. So, look, Anderson of of Elder and Anderson, Anderson has the higher upside for sure, and we've seen it in play, right? Five no-hit innings against the Astros in the 2021 World Series. He can do it, uh, but he's got to, to me, he's got to get the fastball command under control. When he does that, he can be very effective. Um, but I'm I'm getting nervous about Anderson as to that he's figured anything out. There are a lot of positive vibes, a lot of people saying good things about him coming in. And when I saw him uh, just yesterday pitch, kind of just looked like the same Anderson to me. Now, that being said, look, can you take too much away from a spring start? No. And, and I want to be fair to the guy. He might iron things out and look super sharp uh, as the season starts. But right now, I'm just telling you what I see. Uh, now, while all of that is kind of a downer, right? Um, Anderson not looking super great. Soroka still, you know, dealing with an injury. I'm still encouraged, generally encouraged, about where the Braves are with their pitching depth. Allard has looked a little, um, Colby Allard has looked a little more solid to me than I thought. You know, he had like a seven ERA, ERA with the Rangers last year. You know, but he's still only 25 years old, and um, while I don't think he's going to win the fifth starter spot, uh, I think the Braves could put him down in AAA, and if an injury happens or they need a spot start, could he give you five solid innings? Yeah, I think so. Um, and then uh, the guys I'm more excited about are uh, Schuster and Dylan Dodd. Uh, Schuster pitched today against the Pirates. Uh, he looked really good. Again, he gave up one big home run. Uh, but other than that, looked really filthy, and he is a guy that he's a three pitch pitcher, but he's really he's kind of like Glavin. He looks you know Glavin esque. Uh, obviously, he's not Tom Glavin, but 92 mile an hour fastball and a very good changeup. And the difference between there's a couple differences between him and Anderson, right? Anderson coming from the right side, Schuster coming from the left side, but Schuster has excellent command. Uh, in 140 innings last year, he only walked 38 dudes while he also struck out like one guy per inning. Uh, so, you know, I think we might be sleeping on Schuster a little bit. His stuff, if you watch him, it's not, you know, it's not Spencer Strider. He's not blowing anybody away. But we know, Brace fans know, especially from a left-hander, if you can spot your fastball well at 92 miles an hour and you have an elite changeup, which he does, you can have a lot of success. Uh, the, the, one, uh, the one home run he did give up today was a changeup. The guy was clearly sitting changeup because uh, Schuster threw a fastball in the first pitch. Uh, the dude had this like super awkward swing at it. And to me, he should have read that and just stayed with fastball. Uh, he threw a change up and he threw it right down the middle and it got crushed. So that's going to happen. If anybody is looking change up and you throw one right down the middle, major league hitter is going to hit it a long way. And that's what happened. But uh, before that, it was three innings of no hit baseball uh, for Schuster. So looking really good. Dylan Dodd has also looked pretty good. He's had, I think, one shaky outing. He has definitely, you would say, a higher ceiling. Then Schuster, probably better stuff. He throws more 95, also a lefty, but he's looked pretty good. And so now you're starting to think, all right, if you got Allard, Schuster, and Dylan Dodd all 
starting the year in AAA. Um, and then of Soroka, uh, Elder, and Anderson, you know, maybe two of those guys go down to AAA uh, with one of them being the fifth starter. Man, the Braves are actually in a really good spot. If you were relying on these guys to be a third or, or fourth starter, you might be nervous. But even if you just have a rotation of fifth starter, for some of the year until maybe somebody cements themselves, that's an okay situation to have. And let's not forget, I mean, Soroka might start on the injury list, but if that hammy can get better and he can get even halfway back to the Soroka he used to be, guys, he was an ace. I just want to repeat that. Mike Soroka, I know it's been a long time, but there is that guy still there. Um, an elite starting pitcher in the major leagues if he can just get healthy. So I know that's an if. It's not guaranteed. But that being said, I think um, it's just something to remind ourselves of. So my current prediction of the fifth starter spot, and obviously you still got some time um, in spring training, but I think Elder is going to uh, to break camp as the fifth starter, he's just the most solid option. I think the Braves would prefer Anderson to win it. I just don't think he's done enough to do that yet. Now, maybe they go with Anderson anyways, just to give him another shot at it. Uh, but I think Elder is is the most consistent of those two. Uh, and, and then Soroka maybe comes in mid to late April if he can get back and healthy. They probably even go with six starters for some of the time if they need to, or you could, you know, if Elder's already up, you can put him in the bullpen, or I don't know. You could figure out something there. Uh, but I do think Soroka eventually will be the guy. That's why I said I don't know if who breaks camp uh, in April makes as much of a difference, but I still think it matters and it's worth talking about. So generally speaking, I think the Braves are in really good a really good situation with pitching depth. Uh, you know, the fact of the major league season is it is a marathon. It will require probably all of these guys to make important starts. Every guy I've mentioned, um, Darius Vines is another guy that could you could see uh, start a couple games this year. And who knows, guys? I mean, I could see Jared Schuster getting a shot at some point this year and just rolling with it. Uh, I really, I really could. I haven't seen as much of Dodd, but I've really liked what I've seen of Schuster. All right, well, let's move on to our last topic of the day, and that is Fawn Grissom. I want to give you an update on what I've seen from Grissom as he's uh, obviously had a couple of weeks uh, at the shortstop position in spring training. Again, I've seen him play about five games at this point in spring, so it's not like I can watch every game. Sometimes games aren't televised. Like I said, for some reason, the Braves don't televise a lot of their games. That being said, uh, I am a believer in Vaughn Grissom. I just want to make that very clear. I really like what I see from Grissom. I thought from, you know, you can get a little bit of a feel of certain guys, and I just thought from what I'd seen of Grissom last year, uh, the work he'd put in with with Washington, uh, Ron Washington, that, that he was going to be. Uh, good enough to play at shortstop, and the more I see him, the the better and better I'm feeling about it. He has displayed great work ethic. He's displayed a very confident attitude. I think he's got a major chip on his shoulder. Um, I heard a story from Dave O'Brien. He's got a podcast, too, that I encourage you guys to listen to, but uh, he was just talking about how uh, Mark Bowman, who is the uh, the MLB reporter for the Braves, 
he had written an article really questioning at the very beginning of spring, really questioning if Grissom had what it uh, had what it takes to uh, defensively to be the Braves shortstop, basically saying he thought RC was going to be the shortstop for the Braves or that the Braves would go out and get somebody else. Obviously, none of that's happened. And uh, so Grissom is fielding questions from several different reporters and it comes over to Bowman and he asks him uh, a question and, you know, is expecting a really thoughtful, long answer, but it ended up being just a yes or no question. And Grissom just gave him a one, a, a one word yes. And then moved on, not in a jerky way, but kind of giving, you know, cutting him an eye. Uh, and, and then Bowman came back with another question and, and uh, Grissom, you know, gave him a normal answer, but, but there's no doubt that Grissom has taken, you know, this criticism and these doubters and he's got a chip on his shoulder and any motivation like that, that just adds fuel to his fire is fine with me. Uh, and, you know, some guys need that more than others. I don't know if he needs it anyways, but he's got it. Uh, and you're seeing him go out there and obviously attitude is one thing, but you got to go out and play the game. And he's doing that. And he's made, I think, maybe one error. Uh, I could be off on that because, again, you know, stats for for spring training aren't, aren't there and hard to watch every game. But uh, I actually haven't seen him look bad at all. I mean, he's made every every play that's come to him that I have watched him. He seems pretty darn solid over there. Not spectacular um, so far, but but solid. And it's all we've always said that's what you need. He's going to hit. I really believe that, and um, so I, I'm very encouraged, guys, uh, as to what he looks like. I think there's a lot of Dansby Swanson lovers out there, uh, people who are sad that Dansby left, and are doubting. Uh, sorry, guys, are doubting uh, what Grissom uh, can do, or comparing Grissom to Swanson. I think that's number one. That's un unfair. I think a lot of people maybe forget what Dansby looked like when he came up. He was not a finished product either. And um, I think giving Grissom a shot uh, is really going to give the Braves uh, potentially a lot of benefits in the future. But yeah, you can't compare Vaughn Grissom's defense right now to what Dansby Swanson looked like last year. Um, you have to compare Grissom now to Dansby's first full season. So I just wanted to, and this is not to bash Dansby at all. I mean, this is kind of normal, guys. It's normal for for young guys to come up and uh, not be finished products and have to work through things and get better. So in Dansby's first full season, he was 23 in his first full season. Dansby had 20 errors uh, and only hit 232 with six home runs for the entire season. Okay, so he was a subpar hitter. And 20 errors at shortstop. Now, 20 is is high. It's not absurd. You could see that he Dansby was going to be a very good defensive shortstop. Um, but nonetheless, you know, far from uh, far from a great shortstop at, at that time, and not a very good hitter at all. That that season was good for a negative 0.2 wins above replacement season for for Swanson and as we know he got better and better each year and had a remarkable season last year with a 6-4 season uh, but Grissom is not the same player right it's really hard to compare the two because they're just very different in a lot of ways Grissom is two inches taller than Dansby he's 20 pounds heavier so he's not going to be as quick he will move differently out there 
uh, he will look different out there. He has long strides where Dansby was a, you know, real quick, quick footed kind of guy. And so, you know, there will be balls that Grissom is not able to get to. Uh, he, he will go into slides slower. Uh, this is just natural for a guy of his size. You know who Vaughn Grissom physically is more like? And I'm not making this comparison in any other way, but he's physically very similar to Derek Jeter, right? A little bit of a taller, larger shortstop. And Jeter may turn himself into a solid shortstop, probably overrated. You know, he won a lot of gold gloves that he probably shouldn't. He probably shouldn't have, probably didn't deserve. Um, but he was a solid defensive shortstop. Jeter had 22 errors in his first full season. Um, and, of course, he was a very good and eventually Hall of Fame level offensive shortstop. Not saying that Grissom's going to become that, but I do think what Grissom could be defensively is probably like a Derek Jeter type of shortstop. Grissom has, guys, he has a higher ceiling than Swanson because he is a far advanced hitter than Swanson was at this stage of their careers. Um, so again, if you turn Grissom into an just an average shortstop who makes the plays that he can get to, then you have an excellent player. You have a key piece to a championship level team if you were to go out and this is why i'm really glad they didn't do this but if you were to go out and get an elvis andrews or some other guy or just go with arcia at shortstop man you have such a low ceiling of a player um and you have them for a very short amount of time and then what do you do after that uh so again i am a big believer in grissom and what he's going to bring I think, guys, he will go through struggles. I'm not saying that. He won't. He will. He's a young guy. Uh, but I'm I'm really glad that the Braves do this with their young players. They push them. Sometimes they push them early. And sometimes that means you have some failure. And as, as Braves fans, we should not be – we should uh, allow our young players to fail a little bit so that they can become great. I mean, think about Austin Riley. He definitely went through it. I mean, he was on the verge of not making it, guys. He had real struggles for about two full seasons. Uh, he was refined by that fire. And, of course, we know he has been top 10 MVP the last two seasons. And he's going to be a huge key, you know, for the next decade for the Braves. Uh, that could be Von Grissom in a lot of ways. Totally different players. But that idea that there's going to be some struggle. He's going to have to figure things out. I mean. That might happen with Michael Harris too, right? Uh, year two, some struggles are coming, and and it's far more um, far more likely that players go through those types of struggles than not. I think as Braves fans, we probably are. Uh, I was thinking about this the other day. We we probably are a little spoiled with some of our young stars that we've had over the years that have come up and just seemed immediately ready and haven't gone through as many struggles like an Austin Riley did. Um, you know, you think back to, you think back to Chipper Jones, I mean, go that far back, right? Um, MVP and kind of a great player from day one, Andrew Jones, uh, two home runs in the world series and just uh, a, a phenom and a very young age. I mean, you go through the list, even Jason Hayward early, of course he kind of fell off and had struggles after that. But, Early on, man, it looked like he was just 
uh, golden from the get-go. And then last year, Vaughn Grissom and Spencer Strider uh, just, you know, ready to go. I mean, you could throw Freddie Freeman in there too, right? The, the, they're just kind of stars from day one. Um, but it's more common for really good players to be developed over time. And so I would just say, let's give Vaughn Grissom a little patience, but let's understand that if he's able to do this, uh, it's going to benefit the Braves tremendously. I think uh, it will, it could make the difference in, in winning, um, in winning the NL East. You don't want to put that on one guy because baseball is not about one guy, but it's just one of those other things that could go right for the Braves. And I really like Von Grissom and his mentality. He's just very confident. He's a fun loving guy, but he works hard. Um, and I think his friendship with, uh, with Michael Harris is also great. Those two are going to push each other, and that is invaluable. So, obviously, guys, I like Grissom. I really like what the Braves are doing with him, and uh, I'm just looking forward to seeing him continue to work throughout this season. Um, all right, guys, well, that's pretty much it. Uh, I would just give a plug. If you haven't seen Behind the Braves, that is um, kind of a short series that the Braves have done the last two years. They're doing it again. You can find it on YouTube. I think they are through the first two episodes, but you get a lot of behind the scenes glimpses at the Braves. You get a feel for some of the guys and their personality, um, you know, very documentary style. So go and see that. I really have enjoyed watching that over the last couple of years and, um, you know, seeing things like Ozzy Albies coming back from injury and, and that sort of thing is chronicled. So definitely worth a, definitely worth a, a watch. Uh, all right, guys. Well, we will continue on uh, from here next time. We will we will continue to dive into some of what I foresee happening with the Braves this season. As we get closer, I'll start giving you some predictions. Last offseason, I gave you six different predictions, very specific predictions of things I saw uh, that were going to happen. And I think I was three out of six, which to me, 50% is about right. Uh, so maybe I'll get a few things right this this time around too. But uh, that will come, and then, guys, we are very close to the start of the regular season, which I'm super excited about. So, all right, guys, well, I hope you enjoyed this episode of State of the Braves, and I'll talk to you again soon. 